Hi, this is Chris Campbell, and welcome to the Food Institute Podcast. Today, we welcome Denise Woodard, founder and CEO of Partake Foods, and we're going to have a wide-ranging discussion, ranging from the importance of allergen-free foods to the challenges a woman and BIPOC-owned food company had to face on its journey from conception to external investment. But first, whether you are a first-time listener or becoming something of a regular, we ask you to share this episode on your social media platforms. Really helps us expand our reach, and we appreciate it when you do so. And I should note, we're also available on Spotify and Apple, so take a look there for us too, and subscribe. So, with that all said, I'll introduce Denise and ask her how she's doing today. So, how are you, Denise? I am doing well. Um, I had my five-year-old at home all week last week, and thankfully, she's at school this week uh, safely and healthy. And so, uh, I'm doing fantastic. With that being said. So I'm sure our listeners appreciate the quiet that you'll be able to give us on this interview then. But I think the best way to start is just to give us a little background about yourself and also Partake Foods. Sure thing. So I am Denise Woodard, the founder and CEO of Partake, Um, originally from North Carolina, spent my career in CPG. Um, Most recently, I was at Coca-Cola leading non brick and mortar retail sales for their venture group. So everything that wasn't in a store for brands that Coke had invested in or acquired. Um, Really enjoyed my experience there. had no intention of leaving. And then my daughter, who I mentioned, uh, came along. And while she's nearly six now, right around her first birthday, we learned that she had multiple food allergies to a lot of tree nuts, um, eggs, corn, which has proven really tricky to manage, and bananas. And I was really fed up with the options that I could find for, for her from a taste perspective, um, from a nutritional perspective, kind of from a brand coolness perspective. And so I left my career at Coke in August of 2017 and launched Partake. And we were a self-funded, self-distributed brand to start with um, here in the Jersey City area where I live. All right. So that's a great segue into the conversation I'd like to have. So as I alluded to in the beginning of the episode today, I'd kind of like to split it into two uh, separate sections. And the first one would be that food allergen labeling and just food allergen, uh, you know, safe snack products that you're making. And as you alluded to there, it is somewhat of a personal connection for you with your daughter, Vivian. And I'd like you to just kind of explain a little bit more, you know, how that was such an impetus for you to open up Partake Foods in the first place. Admittedly, I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about food allergies previously because I don't have any. My husband doesn't have any, and I didn't grow up knowing any children who did. Um, And then Vivian, right around her first birthday, we had done some allergy testing that said she wasn't allergic to peanuts. And so we gave her a snack that was made with just peanuts and corn. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I was on a conference call. I remember it like it was yesterday. And as soon as she bit into it, her lips began to swell up. Her tongue began to swell up. Her lips turned blue in our living room. Um, Thank goodness. We had a couple of EpiPens we were able to to inject her with and get her to our local hospital. And she's fine now. But it was that trial by fire experience that really showed me the true severity of food allergies and really made me think about the implications that food allergies have on parents' lives, on the kids who experience them, and then also the adults who are managing them. Um, And as I shopped that allergy-friendly aisle, you know, what I found was oftentimes the brands that that live there, the products were worse than their um, normal counterparts from a sugar content perspective, um, you know, nutritionally empty flowers, lots of gums and stabilizers. And then the brands that I felt like did a good job from a nutritional standpoint, I didn't love the taste of. And then most of all, while I was thankful for those brands for existing, for providing a safe solution for her and and for kids like her, I didn't feel like they were particularly relatable to anyone without food allergies. And I feel like 
oftentimes kids just want to fit in and especially kids with food allergies. Like there's so many like birthday parties, play dates, holiday celebrations, everything includes food. And when you constantly cannot participate because of a dietary restriction, it really, I think, messes with your, uh, your relationship with food also creates feelings of anxiety, isolation. And I didn't want that for my daughter. And so I was like, why isn't there a brand that exists that has products that taste good and that you can feel good about sharing with your family, but also that people without food allergies would willingly choose to eat? Um, and, and so that was a lot of the, the thought behind Partake. We wanted to create something, most of all, that would allow people to share with confidence and feel confident they were eating something safe that they could share with a lot of people safely. Were you expecting the success that the brand has enjoyed so far? You know, Did it happen faster, slower than you expected, maybe right on time? Could you give us a little insight into you know the development of the brand that way? Sure. I learned pretty quickly not to have a lot of expectations because it seemed like a lot of stuff didn't go according to plan, whether for good or for bad. So we really just rolled with it, but just tried to make sure that we stay true to what the brand stands for at the core. Um, I will say the beginning felt kind of slow. Like we launched in August of 2017. I sold cookies out of my car until May of 2018 when we went into one region of Whole Foods and we went into a segment of Wegmans stores. That part felt pretty slow and really hard. Like it was, you know, trade shows every weekend, demos every weeknight, every weekend, like delivering cookies out of my car. Like that part was definitely a grind. Most recently, this part's been hard too, but it's moved a lot faster. Like we started 2020 in 350 stores and we'll finish this quarter nearly in 6,000. So was it an intimidating experience to make that jump from the corporate world to entrepreneurship? I know you already had a CPG background, but going from a behemoth like Coca-Cola to, you know, like you said, your car trunk, what kind of experience was that like? Definitely humbling. Like when you show up with a Coca-Cola business card, you, you get a different welcome than you do necessarily with a, from a Partake business card from a lot of the, the larger, more established retailers. But I will say that I'm really thankful to the independent natural food stores in the New York, New Jersey area because they were really receptive and really welcoming to our brand and willing to listen to my story and why I thought our products were different. Um, so it, it's been a, an interesting journey on, on that piece. So what would you say was the biggest challenge to launching this startup? I know you've kind of touched on a couple of them, but if you had to pick one or two of the items out that, you know, really would help another food company that's coming, uh, you know, coming of age, if they knew this information, what kind of insights could you share with another developing food company that may be thinking about making a jump and trying to create a new product and bring it to market? Sure thing. So the biggest challenges for us were how to make it, where to make it, and how to pay for it. So where to make it, um, being an allergy-friendly product, it was core to, to our mission that we produce our products in a top eight allergen-free facility. And starting a company was a big enough leap for me opening a manufacturing plant was just a, a challenge I wasn't willing to sign up for. And so we work with a contract manufacturing partner and finding one that would agree to work with us at our size um, was really challenging. Um, the way that we got around it, not, not something I would necessarily recommend, but we ran a Kickstarter campaign and it was kind of a chicken and egg scenario. We knew that if we could go to the co-packer and say, we have all these clients who want this product, they would be more willing to give us a shot. And we knew that if we ran this Kickstarter and it was successful, we really needed a place to make the product. And 
we didn't really have either of them, but thankfully somehow the universe lined up and we ran a really successful Kickstarter campaign um, that raised about $30,000. And that allowed us to have a story that in a business case that we could share with the co-packer to get them to onboard us. Um, and then how to make it. We, my nanny, Martha and I, we, we failed horribly in the kitchen and I very quickly realized why so many things were formulated with rice flour and xanthan gum and a lot of sugar because it was much easier to do things that way. And so no one to bring a professional in and, and we found a food scientist who was able to listen to my vision and, and stay true to it and bring us something that could actually be commercialized into a shelf stable product. Um, and then how to pay for it. The fundraising journey was was really challenging. And so starting small and taking baby steps so that no mistake was big enough to be able to put us out of business was really important because I think had we tried to start bigger than we did, our fundraising wasn't keeping up with those aspirations and we probably would have been out of business. So looking at your website, I think labeling your products simply as allergen-free is short-selling them. You also have them certified as gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, and glyphosate-free, among other certifications. So I was wondering how challenging was it to get certified by these accreditation bodies, especially as an emerging brand? I think it was a learning curve because we, we didn't have any help with it necessarily. And so it was me just figuring out how to do it. But there were so many people people in the natural food community, whether it was other founders or folks at these different certifying bodies who are willing to walk me through the journey of what it meant, it made it a bit easier. I felt like it was really important um, being an allergy-friendly company to have some third-party certifications back up that we were serious about the claims that we were making. What about sourcing ingredients? I know you talked about working with a co-packer, but was it difficult for a food startup to find a reliable you know, ingredient supplier to meet the very specific demands of your food products? Is this something the co-packer helped you with? Could you give us a little insight into you know that aspect of the journey? Sure thing. So thankfully, our food scientist um, also had some recommendations and relationships with different food manufacturers, with ingredient manufacturers. We source from mostly single source ingredient suppliers. So like our oat supplier only grows oats. Our buckwheat supplier focuses on buckwheat so that we're able to reduce the risk of cross-contamination in our supply chain. Um you know, there were times we had to work with distributors, though, because we weren't buying in large enough quantities to be able to buy directly from that ingredient supplier. But it was a non-negotiable for us that we'd be able to source from ingredient suppliers. We felt like took allergy protocol very seriously. It was also a non-negotiable for our contract manufacturer in terms of the documentation they needed for us to bring the product in. And I know Partake currently operates in the snack space primarily, but do you have plans to expand into new product verticals, maybe more expansion in the snack offering section itself? What kind of future plans does Partake have for the products you make? Sure thing. So we recently launched a five-in-one baking mix and a brownie mix. Um, both are available just as direct-to-consumer offerings. And so we'll plan to do some more in the baking mix space on our website. And then our plan is um, to create some additional snack products that we're hoping to release later this year. Like I said at the beginning of the conversation, I did want to split this talk into two halves. And the second half, I really want to focus on one of the core tenets of Partake Foods, which seems to be raising awareness for both Black and female entrepreneurship. Uh, so Forbes recently reported that you were the first woman of color to raise $1 million or more for a food startup. So first of all, congratulations on that. But do you feel you faced additional challenges as a woman in BIPOC-owned company when compared to other food startups? No, I don't think 
there were people who didn't invest in the business because I was a woman or because I, I was a black woman. Um, but I think it made it more challenging in that I just didn't have the network, the, the for lack of better words, kind of good old boys club um, network to, to have access to a lot of the funds, to have access to the people who are making decisions about where to allocate capital. So I think there was just some sort of social capital piece missing that I didn't have access to potentially because I was a woman or because of my background or because I was a person of color. Um, and then I, I think there's, you know, a lot of studies around pattern matching in Silicon Valley and in the investment community. And, and so, you know, people typically invest in things that they're familiar with. And so, um, you know, I, I think it did make it more challenging, but I, I think fundraising in general for anybody is a challenging path. So jumping into that fundraising aspect, you know, the Forbes piece said that you raised more than half of your 7.5 million for Partake Foods from black investors ranging from Rihanna to Jay-Z's venture capital fund. And I was wondering, can you discuss how this ties into the company's overall mission? Sure thing. So um, when I started Partake, the name came from me wanting people with food allergies to be able to partake. Um, and what I've learned over time from consumer feedback is that as a woman, as a person of color, as a first-time founder, there's a lot of other people who need a seat at the table and want a seat at the table and want to be able to partake. And so the brand really does stand for more than than just a food allergy brand. It, it's all we're all about inclusivity, um, lifting as we climb, um, include and just diversity and celebrating diversity. Um, and so it was important to me that our cap table really represented that and that the investors that we work alongside um, have a similar social mission. Um, and I also think for some of these first-time fund managers and, and newer funds like Black Star Fund or Black Capital, who are both investors in our business, you know, hopefully if Partake can be successful, that can be a feather in their cap as they go raise more money for their fund and they can then allocate more capital to Black and female founders. And, and so I'm hoping that it's this like perpetuous positive cycle. So it seems to play into the idea of, you know, paying it forward. And one of the things I took note of when going through your website and talking to you ahead of time is that Partake has a mentorship program. So could you explain that a little bit and, you know, how it ties into the ethos of Partake overall? Sure thing. I think um, the idea of mentorship, making the journey easier for the next group of, of founders and, and CPG professionals is something that we're really passionate about. We have a program called the Black Futures and Food and Beverage Fellowship. We have eight fellows from five historically Black colleges and universities who joined us um, in the fall of 2020 for an eight-week curriculum that, that was put on. It was hosted by Partake, but we had people from so many different companies that were willing to donate their time and knowledge, whether it was Chobani or Once Upon a Farm and Beyond Meat and so many companies that participated. It culminated with a virtual career day that helped place our students um, in internships. And, and we're hoping to continue to run that program annually and, and make it bigger and more impactful year after year. Um, we also do a segment called Mentor Mondays on our social media, where I mentor um, various women and women of color um, in the CPG space. So I think it's a very important aspect of the company. And it's great, you know, the Food Institute's really been focusing on ESG in 2021. We think that it's going to be a massive part of the you know corporate uh, landscape in the years to come. So it's really good to see a company like yours, you know, 
relatively young and already paying it back to the community. So I applaud you for your efforts there. And I just have one final question for you here. So I know earlier we talked about, you know, the overall trials that a young food startup might go through, but I'd like to revisit that question through the lens, you know, of a fellow BIPOC or woman entrepreneur. What kind of, uh, you know, what one key lesson did you learn in your uh, journey from conception to where you are today that a fellow BIPOC or female entrepreneur might be able to leverage and, you know, hopefully help their food startup with? Sure thing. I think it's this idea to, to just get started. I think oftentimes entrepreneurship has been so glamorized in terms of like the fundraises and the hires and the celebrity partners, but it's really important to build a sustainable business from day one. Um, and it's not necessarily rocket science. It's how much does it cost you to make your product? How much are you selling it for? How much does that leave for you to be able to market and to hire and to really know your business inside out? Because that will help you run a more sustainable, successful business, but it'll also help you um, when the time comes that, that you need to raise money or, or if you raise money for your business. I, I think just understanding the day-to-day -day mechanics and numbers associated with your business is something that's so overlooked and is simple, but also kind of challenging as, as things pop up, like making sure you stay on top of your cost of goods and your AR and all of the things that actually keep the business going. So I think that about wraps it up for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Once again, I'd really like to thank Denise for her time today. Uh, Denise, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your organization? Sure thing. You can find our website at partakefoodswithans.com and across um, Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest and Twitter at Partake Foods. And then you can find me on Instagram at Denise G. Woodard. Excellent. So we'll share the links in the description of this episode so that people can come and take a look at the different, uh, you know, sites, social media and your website so they get a better idea of Partake Foods and what Denise Woodard is all about. So remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about the Food Institute, please take a look at the links in our description to learn more about us and what membership could do for you and your company. So until next time, this is Chris Campbell signing off. Mm -hmm.